7.08 and you're listening to the 123 Show and it is a Tuesday. Yes, that means that we talk food and drink and there's no other person who's going to come on now apart from Andrew Dembina who serves up the latest local and global food news for us. Good afternoon to you, Andrew. Afternoon, Sonia. How are you doing? Did uh, you, do, you, do you have your lunch before the show, by the way? Do you or know what? Work? Today I didn't have any lunch. What I, I had a boiled... I'm trying to watch my weight, you see. I had a boiled egg and a little okay. piece of mango, and that was about it. So I am hungry but, but, right now. Are you talking yeah, food? <laughs> well, I am, but... Fortunately, I'm not going to be talk- I'm not going to be talking salivating or saliva-inducing dishes okay. or global issues. Okay. Although one of them, let's kick off with, is an update on something that we did speak about last week. But it really is something quite important to people in Hong Kong. Now we spoke about the uh, disruptions of food ch- supply chain mm. as COVID-19 mm. hits. Yeah, dri- drivers in particular. Uh, across the border, as, as mentioned last week, uh, a good 90% of food uh, or up to 90% comes from the mainland, especially lots of fresh produce. And uh, at the weekend, just on the 13th, two days ago, the local authorities here um, said that supplies of vegetables and chilled poultry from the mainland uh, is going to be temporarily disrupted and that's because this time it's mainland truck drivers rather than the week no. before when we discussed it no. it was it was the hong kong drivers mm. who had been stricken by um, you know positive covid-19 results so consumers had last wow. week already started as we mentioned to feel the shortage and rocketing prices of cross border food deliveries when uh, it was the Hong Kong drivers that had kind of disrupted it. But it's not only, of course, the local cross-border stuff that we tend to depend on for most of our foodstuffs day-to-day, but also foreign-imported foodstuff has become scarcer week after week now due to the extended uh, flight restrictions. Mm. A lot of stuff comes in by cargo flight. And uh, at the top of the list right now is imported seafood. And... The more premium the quality, the less of it there is, because that, that's always in smaller number. Uh, but the, 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 the bulk stuff that comes in by air freight is, uh, is really beginning to uh, become scarce now. That's seafood mostly uh, from Southeast Asia and from Europe that mm. have been uh, noticed to be a bit short. Have you noticed uh, we did have this conversation last yes, week? Yes, yes. Have, have, have you been out food uh, shopping? Noticed uh, well, well, yeah, you know what? I haven't actually um, done much shopping lately, but I did notice mm. yesterday when I was in a supermarket that actually the shelves where they have the sort of chilled chicken and things like that were just about empty. Yeah. There was hardly anything there. Even the vegetable, ah. even the vegetable, and this is like in, in main supermarkets, I didn't see many vegetables. Yeah as well so obviously there mm. is a, a, a change happening here but i don't know how many people think, can hoard this stuff though that's a problem we haven't got space yeah i've got a feeling that it's the larger supermarkets because i've noticed it in some supermarkets around town especially in the uh in the fruit and veg mm. area mm. um it being a bit scarce but but i think um when it comes to local markets which are, I mean, I live on an outlying island and I haven't noticed any reduction of stock by the, uh, by the stalls and shops that sell fruit and vegetables. Mm. I guess when you're a small grocery shop, 
um, or, or street stall, you, um, you maybe have a selection of suppliers that you can go to. Um, I'm not sure. Prices mm. have gone up. But, uh, yeah. So um, on to something a bit more global for um, uh, out of Hong Kong for our next uh, topic, for our next course, if you like. Mm-hmm. Don't want to make you hungry, having just <laughs> had your egg and piece of mango. Okay. But um, um, <laughs> it's a survey that's commissioned by one of the USA's largest producers of something else that we touched on in a different capacity last week, food oil, edible Mm, which has become scarce. We we talked about it in terms of scarcity. This, Mm. however, is about a survey which finds that consumers have become more and more mindful of sustainability in their uh, their pre-made food purchases. That means, like we said last week, when you're looking at labels and seeing where the different ingredients come from, and in the case of food oil, whether whether it's uh, flagged up, if you like, that they are sustainably produced mm-hmm. and fair trade and so on mm-hmm. and so um yeah this was a very very sort of pan global survey and they, they came up with some interesting findings this is one of the biggest makers of food uh, edible food oil they're called cargill and they did uh, a, a survey uh, for the first time in a couple of years it found that 55 percent of consumers around the globe uh, indicate that they're more likely to purchase food, a food item if it contains a sustainability claim. And this was a broad comment that they started off researching that didn't even uh, attempt to just showcase things that, uh, that contained edible oil that they produce. Mm. So that was a four point, uh, sorry, four percentage jump since the company last did this research in 2019. That's quite significant, and, yeah. Yeah, they, the, um, the head of uh, um, strategy and innovation for this company said that our latest findings clearly demonstrate that messages surrounding sustainability have a big impact in con- on consumers. It's about telling the story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I mean, I'm not saying that it doesn't have uh, something credible and worthwhile, but it's, uh, it seems that really doing more than just making it one of the ingredients. They're talking about putting slogans on packaging which make it uh, more appealing to those who want to have a kind of fair-minded, um, mm. you know... Um, it's good to hear that, really. I think, I think you know, gradually... It's a drip-drip thing, isn't it, in terms of these things changing over time, that if we get used to those things on packaging, then mm. that's what we will want, and it will just increase now, you know, our awareness of these things. I think so, and also perhaps it would look odd. You're right if you get used to it. Mm. If, if, if it's not there, it might make you might make the shopper question yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, yeah the kind of um, you know uh, viability of that product. Uh, well, six thousand people were uh, in eleven different countries were surveyed, and it was really quite comprehensive. Australia, Brazil, China, France, Germany, India, Mexico, Philippines, Russia, UK, and US. That's quite wow. a thorough. investigation among 6,000 primary purchasers, the main person and per household who did their shopping. Um, And they found out that from all of those countries, there were some interesting findings. Brazil and Mexico both had the biggest jump of increases with purchases that have a positive impact on sustainability, 13% between the last survey, 2019, and this one, which was at the end of 2021. Um, and the uh, sustainability claims now 
that claims for these products, you know, that they state a claim, are driving decisions for 75% of all consumers in Brazil and 66% in in Mexico. That's huge. Mm. And it's the biggest out of every country. That, and it, 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 I mean, that alone is not just a jump up. That's how many people That's are amazing. considering it before making a purchase. I mean, it, it, of course, we're talking, don't forget, about... We've now veered into, from the first original statement that I made, we've now gone into, these are now products that do, that are cooked products. Mm-hmm. And that can range from from snacks, such as uh, potato chips or crisps, as some people might call them, uh, where depending which part of the world you're in, and mm-hmm. cookies and biscuits mm-hmm. and all of those snacky items. Mm-hmm. So, And this is where more disposable income is being seen in developed countries. And therefore, as people become more able to have casual snacks rather than just the food for you know to um to have their daily rice bowl or bread or whatever their main part of their sustenance is it's um it's more of the luxury mm. side of it however mm. it was um it was a high percentage it's interesting that the, um yeah, yeah i, I yeah. remember some time ago there was this real rush about trans fats and and yeah. reducing those in like cakes and pastries and things like that and you know at that time they used to be just thing that trans fats and everything and now i think certainly in the uk it's something that they just don't use now people don't buy it so so it's just that awareness isn't it once people know then mm. they will change hopefully i wonder i mean i don't know if in any countries um uk or others the where where trans fats um have been either not outlawed, but whether there's any kind of restrictions on the amount yeah. or percentage I'm of just trans fat that is allowed. Yeah, I'd have but, to check on that. Yeah, I don't know because yeah, especially as in the UK, they did uh, the government did bring in quite strict controls on sugar content for mm. certain products, mm. which are, or, well, actually they taxed they taxed sugar quite highly, mm. which was to put people off. But um, the same company here who makes the uh, edible oils, Cargill talking about trans fats they became the first edible oil supplier to commit to remove trans fatty acids industrially from its entire global edible food portfolio Uh, and that and they did that to keep in line with who world health organization best practices so if a massive producer on that scale one of the biggest in the world is removing it Mm. it's got to be driven by public awareness uh, to want to be doing things in a more healthy way, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, um, they, they are also, just really briefly to mention, they do produce a lot of palm oil. And palm oil is something that we touched on last week yes, because yes. it's been something that people um, have been concerned about. However, one of the biggest worries about palm oil itself was not always about how it's metabolised in, in the... Uh, person's body as it's digested and what it can do but actually about um the almost slave-like um plantations or very very poorly paid workers on plantations particularly around southeast asia and other parts of the world south america as well and cargill this company again and others are trying to do their best by growing a lot of uh, palms that can be producing oil in the states now. Mm-hmm. And there, there's, there's a, there are a lot of plantations to make more um, better, healthy, metabolized palm oil, but also being more 
fair trade practices. Yeah, so that's yeah. good news. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's great. Yeah. So don't worry, Sadia. I'll get off the oil topics now and I won't <laughs> mention it again next week. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> I think it's good. I think it's it's good yeah. just to have an awareness of what's going on. And I didn't stock up, actually, after you told me last week. So I need to go and have a look, uh, you know, in case the oil disappears, the meat disappears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's see. Um, so, a, a, a final international food topic for today. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a one of the biggest um, summits for food and beverage uh, discussion among people in the industry happens every year in the United Arab Emirates. And it is something which uh, saw some interesting discussion. It was, so, it was at the Gulf Food Inspire Summit. And... The Minister for Climate Change and Environment, uh, Mariam Almeri, opened with a speech that was talking about different ways, brainstorming different ways to try to solve the fact that, in her words, 811 million people are facing hunger around the world. So specifics were spelled out for inclusive projects that should be able to span nations uh, that are all with lots of data-driven research, innovative ways to tackle rising uh, global food security and hunger. And it was put across as an urgent task by her that has become more urgent to hit those very high figures during the pandemic times. Mm-hmm. So it's about, it's about ways of helping uh, yeah, agricultural technology to be shared not necessarily in person during these pandemic times where lots of travel is uh, not possible, Mm. but by sharing data, by sending consignments of seed and other uh, products which can grow agricultural produce that has been perhaps genetically modified. Uh, They're not all going to be, you know, heirloom uh, organic produce, but they are bred to be... Um, hardy and to not fail in times of drought and uh, and to have not have the same attributes um, that will attract pests mm-hmm. as some other foodstuffs do. So this has been a really kind of important rallying call for everyone at Gulf Food uh, t- 2022 to, uh, to kind of roll up their sleeves internationally and take part in thinking about how they uh, can help those around them, not just about the main other topics for this whole summit, which was uh, which was less worldly and more about the UAE, because it's held in Dubai every year. Okay. And it's, a lot of what is discussed there is about how to best culture uh, uh, farming in in the UAE, which uh, which is some very high tech, um, hydroponically um, grown vegetable in conditions uh fruit and vegetables in conditions which are um yeah artificial conditions um uh, yeah so so it's i think it's uh it's really interesting because a lot of obviously what is now farmland in the uae was uh reclaimed from the deserts and has been um, with with fertilizers laid down and proper watering facilities and there's a lot of land there really i suppose they've got a reasonable amount of space to be able to do some of these things haven't they 
Well, they do, uh, and and a lot of it is unusable until made um, yeah, efficient yeah, in that way. Yeah. So that was um, the, the the place that's worth looking up for yourself and the listener is something called Food Tech Valley, which is a kind of groundbreaking okay. uh, project in Dubai that is really an experimental zone for pioneering. Uh, you know, solutions like we were just discussing mm. to turn arid land into something that can be farmable. Mm. So that's pretty interesting. Great. Yep. What's so, going uh, on, really, isn't there? There is. Yeah. None of it. None of it was kind of you know, kind of food product recommendations, but or, or have you tried this or that? Yeah. Bigger issues today. Well, I think these <laughs> yeah. are important because those are the things that are going to come back to us at some point that we all need to be aware of these um, changes and. And and have Definitely. an interest in them to see how things are developing, really. Because, I mean, yeah. we're not going to stop eating, are we? <laughs> well, no, and yet, the uh, you know, despite the pandemic um, uh, fatalities, um, you know, there is still a predicted upward curve of, of population numbers for the planet. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't, it's never put over as being decreasing. I don't think, um, you mm -hmm. know, fingers crossed, COVID hasn't had that kind of impact. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we do need to think of different ways to mm -hmm. uh, to make food farmable. That's yeah. Good. Okay. Thank well, you very with, much. Uh, yes. Yeah, thanks. Good. good luck with the rest of your show without the, hang the hunger pangs. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> speak to you soon. All right, then. I'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. Yeah, <laughs> bye. Bye for that. Well,